Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Shot put, javelin, hammer throw. The three Olympic nations lived in harmony, but all that changed when Matilda attacked. I see that we got a little, um, I don't know if slap happy is the right word for it over <laughs> our week off. The, the It's just the drama of saying shot put, javelin, hammer throw that makes me think of Avatar The Last Airbender. Butterfly! <laughs> Freestyle, breaststroke, backstroke. Oh, hello, prom party. Did you miss us after our week off? They can't answer that. This is an audio format. I'm like, I'll I'll be like Dora the Explorer and be like, where's the mountain? (laughs) (laughs) That's really patronizing. You all know better than that. (laughs) But I do want to take a second to thank everyone who reached out with our week off. Um, I hope that I sound somewhat normal. But yeah, I was excruciatingly sick, and my voice was very low. I mean, everyone who is subscribed to the Patreon found out just what that sounds like. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) My Sadie Hawkins episodes are cute. Those were the best version of your voice for that whole, like, eight-day stretch. Yeah, it was really bad. It was really, really bad. Um, But I'm feeling a little bit better now. I can actually be somewhat of a human, and we can record this episode Thankfully, because I've been looking forward to talking about Matilda since we started the show. Because, yes, Matilda's one of those, like, Olsen twin movies where it's like, listen, it's not necessarily a teen girl movie, but it is a foundational girl movie. Absolutely. It is an incredible coming-of-age story. It is one that I know a lot of people hold near and dear to their hearts. And it's also aged really well. So as far as I'm concerned, it is absolutely a This Ends at Prom movie. This one goes out to all the girlies who had very, very personal relationships with their English teachers. Uh, Oh, yeah, we'll talk about Miss Honey. Don't (laughs) worry. Don't worry. We will talk about the queer awakening that Miss Honey gave a lot of people. <laughs> I love that you have to reassure them, just be like, in case we were like, oh, maybe, maybe we'll forget to talk about Miss Honey. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll just forget to talk about this incredibly important character who re- made a lot of people realize that they were queer. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, we're we're talking about Matilda. So Harmony, I assume this is a movie you're familiar with. Oh, yeah. I mean, Matilda is one of those movies that feels like it has been omnipresent in my life because mm-hmm. uh, it's... It was one of, like, the core five movies for, like, a 90s kid that's like, listen, we don't want to work today. It's, like, the last day before Christmas break or something like that. And mm-hmm. we're like, we're going to watch a movie, and we can justify this because it's based on a book. Yeah. 
Yeah, there was a huge explosion of book to movie adaptations for children in the 90s and 2000s, and we'll talk about that as well. Um, but yeah, Matilda is definitely a substitute teacher staple. Um, this is either your teacher did not leave me a lesson plan or your teacher did not intend on not being here today and... I'm just here, so guess we're watching Matilda today. That and, you know, the various other Roald Dahl movies. Oh, yeah. Your James and the Giant Peach, The Witches. We watched that shit in school, and people probably That's were scarred That's incredible, for like, actually. Yeah, like, I th- that, Willy Wonka, like, legitimately any of the Roald Dahl movies. We watched The Witches in school, but it was during... Like a teacher's lunch thing, like our group won something. And so then we got to have lunch in the teacher's room and watch movies mm-hmm. for like a month or something like that. But we had to get a permission slip for the witches because the teacher was like, um, this is kind of terrifying. It's rated PG. It's fine. It is rated PG, but the imagery is a little bit much for I mean, some kids. I get it. Um, When we were in high school, it was like the last day before Christmas break. And for whatever reason, some kid was like, Hey, Miss Piper, can we watch Shaun of the Dead? And she was like, yeah, sure, I guess. That's great. (laughs) Which is like rated R and you're not supposed to do that. Um, And it's like a comedy, but apparently one kid in high school, you know, presumably like 16, 17 years old was like, this is too intense for me. And like told on the class to their parents. (laughs) We all got in trouble. That's really funny. When I was in high school, freshman year, my uh, homeroom teacher, I'm not going to say his name, we'll call him Mr. K. Uh, Mr. K was a little bit of a pushover, and uh, we were in Tech Academy, so all of us had laptops. So we could watch movies on our laptops all day. Who mm-hmm. cared? And we were sitting there watching one of the Saw movies <laughs> on our laptops. In school? In school, during homeroom. And Mr. K was like, hey guys, I don't know if that's school appropriate. And again, because I went to a school with a bunch of badass kids, we are all like, Fuck you, Mr. K. What are you going to do about it? He's like, damn, okay. I guess nothing. This is the same <laughs> teacher where somebody once like brought gasoline to school and put like a like drew a dick with gasoline and lit it on fire. And he taught science. So there was like fire around. And he was just like, well, that's a shame. And like didn't wow. really do anything. He didn't work there for very long. I don't think he could handle our school. <laughs> Clearly. God damn. <laughs> I'm just saying I was there. I was not the one who did it. I just also didn't snitch because snitches get stitches. Yeah, and you, you will apparently in this school. Uh, yeah, Nucky Fee Buck is a core <laughs> tenant of my uh, <laughs> of my personality. <laughs> um, so yeah, so no, Matilda is a movie I think a lot of us have a lot of really lovely feelings about because Matilda is also a wish fulfillment movie, I think, for a lot of kids because kids feel powerless in a lot of situations growing up and to see a child be the ultimate power position, I think is very, very nice to see. (laughs) I mean, we get this a lot more with boy movies and like chosen one narratives. Yes. You get get all those kids in King Arthur's court and shit like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a lot more common. And later on in the decade, and this ties into reading and we'll go into this with context here in in a hot sec. We would see that a little bit more of all the people who are waiting for their Hogwarts letters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there is definitely a through line. You, you want to feel special. Definitely. And I think the real magic of Matilda is that Matilda got people to want to read. 
um, because, you know, this movie's <laughs> premise is basically, if you're traumatized enough and read enough, you'll get telekinetic powers. It worked a lot better than the Page Master. <laughs> That's true, except I do love the Page Master. I know lot. you do. <laughs> but if you have somehow not seen Matilda or don't know anything about it, uh, it is directed by Danny DeVito. It is an adaptation of Roald Dahl's book. We will talk about Roald Dahl being a problem. Don't worry. Um, but here's your synopsis. This film adaptation of a Roald Dahl work tells the story of Matilda Wormwood, Mara Wilson, a gifted girl forced to put up with a crude, distant father, Danny DeVito, and mother, Rhea Perlman. Worse, Agatha Trunchbull, Pam Ferris, the evil principal at Matilda's school, is a terrifyingly strict bully. However, when Matilda realizes she has the power of telekinesis, she begins to defend her friends from Trunchbull's wrath and fight back against her unkind parents. That's a good synopsis. That, Matilda's a movie people care about, so they actually gave a shit about writing this synopsis. More than they, more than they typically do for a lot of other family films. Yeah, agreed. Um, I also want to shout out the writers of this screenplay, which is Nicholas Kazan is one of them. Um, he is the father of uh, Zoe Kazan, who is, uh, she was in She Said. She does a ton of movies. Um, she's also Paul Dano's wife. His name might be more obvious to some people, but I'm Zoe Kazan. Dano. Yeah, Zoe Kazan rules. Um, but yeah, part of the Kazan family, Elia Kazan, you can look that up. That's his dad. Um, and that's its whole, whole other bag of worms. That, that's a fun Google for, I think, a lot of you. Um, but uh, he also was behind movies like Bicentennial Man. Um, so that's kind of cool. And then the other co-writer is Robin Swickward and Robin Swickward did the 1994 Little Women and Practical Magic, Memoirs of the Geisha, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, um, and directed the Jane Austen Book Club. So there's a lot of really impressive people working on this adaptation. That last bit where it's like, oh yeah, Little Women and all these other, like, girl movies. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, there's a pedigree here. Yeah, I mean, an Oscar-nominated, uh, you know, director or mm -hmm. screenwriter. Um, that's that's really cool. And then on top of it, you know, Danny DeVito's directing. and da Danny, Danny DeVito, DeVito essentially, perfect. this is his Citizen Kane. It really, yeah, he's in it. He's the narrator. He's directing. Like, this is his everything. And I, I just, I love him. I love Danny DeVito so much. I love that over the course of watching this, we were talking about how Danny DeVito's size because there's a hilarious thing where Danny DeVito is yelling at his child and going like, I'm big, you're little. And it's like, man, the idea of Danny DeVito being like, I'm big. <laughs> it's as funny as calling fucking Paul Rubens like a greased up surfer bodybuilder or whatever. <laughs> a convention of male strippers, I think. Yeah, it's the, like, the there's some very hilarious descriptions when you realize the cast of this movie. But I was like, <laughs> how tall is Danny DeVito? And BJ's like, oh yeah, no, he's about my height, like 5'4". And it's like, no, he's like 4'10". Yeah, he's 4'10". He's, he's nowhere near your height. than I thought he was. <laughs> my bad. I just assumed that everybody is really tall. And then I, like, I don't know why I assume that because I've forever thought Natalie Portman was tall because she was in like Black Swan and she just looks, you know, really elegant she's and on tall. She's toes in that one. She's like 5'1". I was like, what? I don't know. A lot of people are little. See, like, this is what happens when we convince the world that Tom Cruise is Jack Reacher. That's what happens. Where we, we try to convince people that Tom Cruise is in 5'6". Right. <laughs> all, of, all of our brains are skewed by Hollywood. Yeah. Ugh. More manipulation by the media. Hulk Hogan lying about how he's six foot ten and he's not. <laughs> no, not and even close. The, the character 
of Hulk Hogan has a 10-inch penis, but I, Terry Belais, do not have a 10-inch penis. <laughs> and that is something that was... Uh, That's on the on, court, on of a court of record. <laughs> when that man went to court. Um, Absolutely I don't know. bananas. It's, 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 it's every guy on a dating site who's like, yeah, I'm, I'm six foot. Oh, God. I my, saw my brother was so mad. My brother was so mad because I'm 6'3", and he's like... 5'11", mm-hmm. but he would lie and say he was bigger because I think it was being so close to six foot uh-huh. that made him mad. I saw a tweet the other day that really cracked me up where this guy was like, I'm 5'10", and I met my sister's boyfriend the other day who's 6'3", and wouldn't you know it, we're the same height. Wouldn't you know it, I'm also 6'3". <laughs> right. I was like, oh, I love that so much. Or there's those videos online of, where... Of, uh, Drew Afawalo. Yeah, Drew Afawalo does a lot of great ones, but I like the people on the street that are like, how tall are you? And they're like, oh, I'm 6'2". And then they bust out like a tape measure and like, can we check? And you watch all of them like shrink immediately like, uh, no. <laughs> It's it's like a full body dick measuring contest. It really is. Like, like literally though some, it is. Some men are so bothered. And like, okay, listen, I used to be on dating sites. I used to go on lots of dates with men. I think with like maybe one or two ever got a second date. It never went very far with them. That was that I wanna say that was a me problem. It wasn't most of the time. It was usually a them problem. Uh-huh. But like either way. Every single dude would, like, start messages with me going, like, oh, well, I mean, would you date a guy that was, like, shorter than you? Because, like, you know, I know know some girls don't. And it would always be, like, some, like, you know, perfectly fine, cute-looking dude who's, like, Mm 5'9". He's not that small. We love a short king. But I'm 6'3". Right. And there's men who are, like, feel really weird about, one, not being significantly taller than their girls. Mm -hmm. And, two, just their height in general. Yeah. So... It's a whole thing that doesn't need to be a thing, but people think they it needs to when the reality of it is, if you're just confident, like Danny DeVito, you can nail down Rhea Perlman, and she is like bimbo excellence in this movie. Oh, God, she's incredible. Every outfit she wears is fucking incredible. I can't wait to talk about I, I haven't seen outfits this good since BAPS. <laughs> yeah, I cannot wait to talk about the parents. They're, they're so good. Um, but before we do that, let's do a little bit of context. So Matilda, it doesn't follow the same rules as like teen cinema at this time period because it's not really chasing that same demographic. So instead, we want to talk about Roald Dahl adaptations, and then also the boom of reading that happened, like the big public push for reading in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Yes. So this comes out in 1996, and we are in a post-Clueless world, but we aren't in a 1997 teen movie world where it's like, oh, Clueless made some money, let's put stuff into production, and it starts to do stuff in 97. Mm-hmm. 96 belongs to the teen horror film. Yes. Oh, God. Yeah, Scream comes out this year. Scream, The Craft, like, those are some of your big teen releases of this period. Uh, there's also, like, Romeo Plus Juliet and alum, Wish Upon a Star. Mm, my fave. So even, like, the Disney-produced shorts are still a little bit more adult. Like, we love a terrifying children's piece of media like we do with, like, the the Chokey and the Trunchbull and the terrifying cook. Yeah, and we are in peak creepy children's television era at this time. Um, Are You Afraid of the Dark, Goosebumps, uh, Eerie Indiana, we're going to be getting so weird from the Disney Channel soon. So parents were pretty okay with kids watching arguably like fucked up stuff. Yeah, um, I don't know. I I like this era of terrifying children's Oh, I do too. Movies. It's very formative Um, for me. (laughs) there, There was a period of the internet, which you all might remember of like, 
you know, only 90s kids remember Facebook groups and shit like that, where yeah. it's like, this motherfucker scared the piss out of me. And it's like the fucking brave little toaster clown. Right. Where it's like, there would just be this horrifying thing, but just slid slyly into a kid's movie that gave everyone nightmares. Mm-hmm. So Matilda's a very good example of, of that. Mm-hmm. But outside of its context as like a, a slightly, uh, I don't know, I guess button pushing kids movie. Mm-hmm. This is also a Roald Dahl film, mm-hmm. which that makes a lot of sense when you realize that Roald Dahl films are all full of fucking terrifying imagery. <laughs> they really are, like, though. Even if you want to think about like, oh, no, but Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, it's like so pleasant and it's so nice. And it's like, what about the tunnel to hell? <laughs> <laughs> what do you know about that boat ride? What do you know about Gene Wilder killing children? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, what I really like about this era, and I don't know what it did. I'm, I'm going to blame the witches, but in the nineties, we started to see a lot of Roald Dahl adaptations. And I think part of it might be that like the Disney machine had rejuvenated, uh, children's media, but also Roald Dahl movies don't make money. And for some reason, every single one of the, like the most beloved ones are critically acclaimed, broke even, and then made ludicrous amount of money in like the second market. Yeah. Home video rentals were a, like a gold mine for children's media. Oh yeah. Because they tended to not do super well in the theaters, but would explode when you could watch them at home because it was cheaper. You could watch it a million times. Exactly. Well, that's the thing with taking kids to the movie where it's like, okay, well I as an adult have to buy a ticket, but then I have to buy a ticket for my wife and the three kids and concessions. And it's like, oh wow, the movies are fucking expensive. And that's what my parents would always say, which is why we never went to the movies very much growing up. Right. It was like, it's too expensive. We can wait till it comes to the, comes home. And so, yeah, James and the Giant Peach didn't make money. Willy Wonka didn't make money. The BFG was fucking Steven Spielberg. If you account for marketing, didn't make money. Mm -hmm. Matilda didn't make money. Witches didn't make money. All these beloved stories that got adaptations broke even, but did very well after the fact. Sans maybe the Steven Spielberg BFG. I think people are more fond of the animated one from the 80s. Mm -hmm. So... We do have to talk about Roald Dahl also as an author because it's irresponsible to talk about any of his work without looking at it through a critical lens. He's a really good writer who wrote really good things, but also he is a great example for the death of the author. He really is. (laughs) He is one of the poster children for that concept. So Roald Dahl died in 1990, which is why we got so many adaptations of his works in the 90s was because mm-hmm. now his estate is trying to, you know, make more money it's, off it's of it. It's the perfect time for it, too. So. Exactly. It's, and it's also a good time, which we'll get to that in a second. But Roald Dahl, um, and I apologize if I am somehow the person breaking this news for you, because it feels like every couple of years people learn this and they're like, oh, no. Uh, Roald Dahl was like a raging anti-Semite. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why the witches look the way they do. He mm-hmm. likes to describe villainous people the same way that like Nazi propaganda would describe Jewish people. There's the reason that the Trunchbull does a lot of sniffing in, yeah. in the Matilda. Yeah. Eerily similar to how the witches hunt children in The Witches. Yeah, he he's real big on giving people angular noses and acting like they're selfish and greedy, like just really playing into propaganda stereotypes. It's really bad. Um, he likes his villains to have one particular set of villainous traits. And all of them come from 
Nazi propaganda. It's yeah. bad. Um, then there's also issues with like the Oompa Loompas and how they are essentially like <laughs> stolen people, mm -hmm. uh, which leads into like slave trade metaphors. Like, there's a lot of problems. He also, like, really hates fat people. Like, fucking hates fat people. Mm -hmm. Loves to demonize a fat person. Um, and well, I thought you could take a joke as well as the next fat person. Look, we will talk about my complicated <laughs> feelings about how much I love Trunchbull in a little bit. But, yes, he also, like, really, he's really fat phobic, um, which is why, you know, like, Augustus Gloop is seen as, like, this gluttonous monster. And that's Kill him first. I want him on die. the screen as little as possible. <laughs> yeah, it's a problem. And in... 2020 his family did issue like a formal apology to be like yeah he kind of fucking sucked sorry yeah um and there was recently um a big controversy where his books were changed um where the the family estate has changed some of the language in his books mm -hmm. uh to reflect a more affirming time and i go back and forth on this i think some of the changes are necessary. Yeah, change the descriptors so that they don't sound like, you know, anti-Semitic propaganda. Yes, yeah. 100%. But then some of the ones were changed because some of the kids, like like a Veruca Salt, who is supposed to be like a brat mm -hmm. um, in, in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, is changed so that she's not as abrasive so that it doesn't seem like he's demonizing a little girl. That I do disagree with. Like, because she sucks. Like, yeah. she's a bad character. All Let of her those be a bad kids character. are bad kids aside from Charlie. That's the point. Exactly. Also, everyone's like, fuck Uncle Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, though, <laughs> Uncle Joe fucking sucks. Uh, or Grandpa Joe. Whatever. Um, whatever. Doesn't matter. Either way, uh, that is something that we should always keep in mind when we are talking about Matilda, especially because Matilda, I think, outside of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, is arguably the most beloved Roald Dahl adaptation for a lot of reasons. I mean, it got a musical adaptation. Which is also a, great. With a movie version of that musical adaptation with music by Tim Minchin, and it's great. It's really lovely. Like, those kids go hard. I love, like, the really tiny chubby boy during the fucking revolting children thing. Oh, where he's Bruce. In the front. Oh, my God. He where goes so hard. he's straight up just wearing a pillow as yeah. a person. No, it's hilarious, but, like, dude goes so fucking hard. Yeah, that kid goes crazy. I love him. <laughs> But yeah, that is, you know, something that we should always be mindful of when talking about the legacy of Roald Dahl, because they do exist simultaneously. And yes, the Trunchbull is kind of like a weird mashup of like fat phobic stereotypes and anti-Semitic stereotypes. It's rough. And when you're a little kid, I don't think you really process it in that way like I don't think they I don't like when I was little reading these books never in my mind was I was like whoa you know this reminds me of 1942 propaganda like mm -hmm. that was not happening I didn't um, read I'll take your word for it <laughs> <laughs> but when you're older and you look at it it's like well, this, is, this is a little suspect right here yeah um so I wanted to acknowledge that before we go forward because this is going to be a very positive episode yeah. otherwise because Matilda fucking rules speaking of people who are suspect let's talk about Ronald Reagan god fucking damn it god I'm so mad about it damn it Ronald Reagan so another thing that is important to the context of when Matilda came out is reading because this is a movie about reading reading is fun demental <laughs> So, yes, it, it does come back to Ronald Reagan. And this is one of those things that were on paper. You're like, oh, Ronald Reagan did a good thing. He did a good thing for bad reasons. And then you dig deeper and you're like, oh, nope, it's still Ronald Reagan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
In the 80s, there was a big push for improvement in literacy. That's when places like Pizza Hut are going to start doing their book it campaigns. There's going to be a massive, massive push in the education system to get kids reading more. And this was a thing that was very, very important to Ronald Reagan. So it sounds like a good thing, right? It's like, oh, yeah, he, he finally did a good thing. He got kids to read. Well, the reason he wanted kids to be reading more was because he's a racist. And this is also the same time period where we're starting to try to push to recognize AAVE, or back then it was referred to as a bonics, um, to be recognized as like an acceptable language for literature. And he didn't want that. Mm -hmm. uh, so he very much was doing this under the guise of like, well, all those poor kids, all those black and brown kids are going to tank all of our reading scores. So we need kids to be reading more and it's like ah oh, man yep. yep nope there it is there's the ronald reagan of it all that's the reagan that we know and hate <sighs> God. so that he also, did a good thing for the wrong reasons yep and like once reagan was out of office and all this was kind of set up like i remember accelerated reader being a very big deal mm -hmm. you get your personalized pan pizza at pizza hut if you read enough fucking books yeah had summer reading programs all of that was built off of it but i think it was also an extension of the fact that Kids now had children's programming to watch because mm -hmm. you had the rise of Cartoon Network. Mm -hmm. You had Nickelodeon, eventually the Disney Channel. Kids were playing video games, which meant they were sitting at home on their duffs rather than going outside. Mm -hmm. Like, my grandma was a very um, staunch believer that unless you are sick and dying or it is raining, your ass is outside playing. How dare you come inside and try to play Mega Man? Drink out of the hose. <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely uh, that as well. Um, so there, there was a whole lot of things going on at this exact time that was like, no, kids, read. It's fun. Look, The Page Master, an animated film about Macaulay Culkin and how great reading is. Well, so after this big push of, you know, we need to get kids reading more in the 80s, the 90s released a study uh, from an organization called The Summer Slide, mm -hmm. um, which is a reference to the way that over summer break, kids apparently slide back. I'm saying apparently because I am I have mixed feelings about this organization and what they're trying to say. Sure. But they basically say that like over summer break kids lose retention of the stuff that they learned and then when the school year starts they're actually behind where they should be. Use which, it or lose it. Use it or lose it basically. And I think it's a lot more complex and nuanced than that but regardless that did push a lot of reading campaigns like summer reading programs which had been around forever but they like really went through the roof in mm -hmm. the 90s. Um, and then unfortunately they have slowly been dying off um, as technology has become more of a thing and kids are very much, you know, becoming more iPad kids. That is real. That's not like a scare tactic um, because there is now a literacy gap between the generations. And that is a shame. And I do wish that something could be done to fix this, but it's very, very complicated. And there is not like a, okay, cool. We're just going to do this one thing and that's going to fix everything. Like yeah. that isn't happening. I think there's been... Uh, in the in the years since the 90s, there's been a lot of ups and downs in terms of reading because, like, mm -hmm. the end of the decade, uh, kids finally have a fad book series that they can get behind. Yeah, Harry Potter, like, fuck J.K. Rowling into the sun forever, but there was an increase in literacy because of Harry Potter. Yes, and that extended into, like, kids who read Harry Potter and then become high school kids, like, you know, essentially our generation, our specific block of, of young kids. Yeah. Where then they start to read... Twilight, they start to read Hunger Games, they start to read a lot of young adult fiction. Mm -hmm. I, I've always been a nonfiction fan myself. Yes. I don't do a lot of fiction reading. 
But then I think it sort of starts to to morph in that people develop reading comprehension just because we're on the internet a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that worked out really well in terms of just understanding what words mean and mm-hmm. how to pronounce them. Sometimes there's plenty of words where I go, I've only ever seen that shit written. I don't actually know how to say it properly. Yeah. Like that happens a lot. But like, you know, that that's just a fumble of reading. Like that could have just as easily happen with a book. Uh, I worry that we're going to be now moving back from that because there is now more emphasis on watching video mm-hmm. between YouTube and especially TikTok. So... I think people are going to be able to read, but I think in terms of, like, the heights of reading comprehension, it's going to drop as we become yeah, less dependent on actually reading. That's the big problem that we're running into is comprehension and literacy. Because, like, literacy is more than just reading. It's also understanding what you're reading. And yeah. as we have seen with every bit of discourse in the last, like, five years, like, media literacy is fucking dead. It oh, yeah. is buried in the ground. And part of that is because kids are reading, but they're reading, you know, captions or subtitles on a TikTok. They're not having somebody explain to them what it is that they're reading or what that actually means. They're kind of being left to their own devices. Shit, man, I'm 32 now. And mm-hmm. I the other day was like, BJ, when you hear the term in the pink, what does it mean? And you were like, oh, it's a good thing. I'm like, I've always thought it was a bad thing because it's like being in the red. Yep. Nope. And apparently no. Nope. It's a good thing. <laughs> so like, you know, shit happens. But like, it's a matter of understanding your 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 stuff. Totally, Matilda. Great reading comprehension. Absolutely. And before we dive into the actual movie, because we've been talking for about thirty minutes, not about the movie. We're talking about the movie. It matters. <laughs> it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Happy July prom party! Quick announcement: for those of you who like to listen to the podcast over on the Stitcher platform. I'm sure that you probably have noticed this already, but Stitcher is going away after July. If you want more information about how that relates to our show, we made a post about it that is free to view on our Patreon, and it goes into far more detail about it. Also on the Patreon, things that you can look forward to this month are Sadie Hawkins Dance Teen Boy Movies, two excellent films this month. We're doing Orange County and Stand By Me. For our Molly Tier patrons up at the highest level, we are unfortunately done with Freaks and Geeks and now moving on to My So-Called Life, which I have watched precisely none of and know virtually nothing about. So this will be a very enlightening experience, basically like how everything on this show is. And for Musical Milestones, we made a promise about a year ago when we launched it that we covered MySpace once. We're coming back to talk about MySpace emo bands and the unique relationship they had with teenagers and teen girls in particular. Aside from all the mini-episodes, you also get the benefits of access to our suggestion box, the monthly playlist and newsletter, and obviously the extensive back catalog of previous releases that we have on the Patreon. If you're not able to, like, fiscally support the podcast, obviously, we totally understand, as always. Just know that the best thing you can do to support a show is to share it, rate it, review it. Just let people know that you love us and you think that what we do is great. It goes just as far as your dollars do. Thank you, and now back to the movie. Alrighty, let's talk about 
Matilda Wormwood. How do you feel about her as a character? She's a precocious little scamp. I love her so much. Which I feel like is a very 90s way of describing children. I think that is like an (laughs) 1890s way of describing children. I don't know, man. I feel like that was a shorthand people would write. Maybe I'm just thinking of like the grandpa from Rugrats who was very old. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she is a precocious little scamp. I love Matilda. Um, Matilda, I think, speaks to a lot of generations at once. One, because she's a latchkey kid, because she is just straight up navigating the city and going to the library on her own. Because She's allowed to use the stove when no one's home. She can make pancakes when she's not tall enough to see above the counter. Like, she's so self-reliant and independent in a way that is both aspirational and also very sad Mm. because you're watching a child develop all of these skills because she literally has to because her parents are not taking care of her. Neither left her a can of soup on the stove. Just turn it on when you're hungry and then don't touch the hot can. Right. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's such a shame. And, you know, she's definitely a child that was, you know, not expected. So they don't know what to do with her. They don't treat her well, and the fact that she's not like the rest of her family makes her the black sheep immediately Mm -hmm. because she likes to read. She thinks that it's fun and it's enjoyable, whereas her family is like, we would like to eat TV dinners and watch John Lovitz cover men with sticky goo and put them in money machines. I'd buy that for a dollar. It is so that (laughs) of this this universe. (laughs) Um, So I... I love Matilda because I was very much a reader as a kid. You don't say. Who would have fucking guessed? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I loved her. Um, I definitely tried to do, like, a ribbon phase where I, like, wanted to wear ribbons, but my head is just not shaped for that. It's not a good shape for ribbons? No, they fall off all the time, and Uh, it was really frustrating. That's where you just pin them in. Um, I was a child. You were also like a dance baton pageant girl. I figured you would just go like, I'm going to make it work. I'm just going to pin everything perfectly into place. See, but the thing is you want to hide pins and I couldn't do that with the ribbon. Oh, my bad. And it was really frustrating. Mm. (laughs) Um, No, I loved Matilda. I feel like there's this low-key like universal experience. I don't like to describe anything as a universal experience because it's not true. But I do think that there is a universal experience that if you were a, a child who read a lot at some point, you tried to see if you had telekinesis. Okay. I think everybody at some point like watched or read Matilda and was like, I'm going to see if I can make this glass tip over I've with got, my eyes. I've got a big brain. Yeah, I definitely did. So I, I learned so much. I got a big brain. See, um, the version of that for me as a young, a young lad, because, you know, I grew up not reading, but watching things. I was like, man, if you get angry enough and yell loud enough, you can go Super Saiyan. <laughs> So, you can crush boulders with your scream. I'm going to fucking bust out a Kamehameha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I do miss, like, <laughs> that time of your life where you genuinely believe stuff like this. You could have superpowers. Yeah. Like, it was so The cool. world was such a magical place then. Because that's the thing. Matilda is a superhero. Like, she just is. Yeah. She has telekinetic powers. She might as well be an X-Men. She's, she's um, Jean Grey, yeah. Yeah, she's Jean Grey. She's like, more interesting than Jean Grey. You're going to... I was going to say, you're going to make pe- so many people mad. And I was like, I feel like the people who would be mad at that statement definitely do not listen to a teen girl movie podcast. Listen, I think the things that are most interesting about Jean Grey are all of the parts where it's like an alter ego. Okay. Jean is like... 
the more interesting but still kind of dull counterpart to Cyclops, who is boring as shit. <laughs> Sorry to get controversial about the X-Men up in this Matilda episode. <laughs> it's the 90s. I've seen 90s X-Men. The 90s X-Men is great, though. <laughs> it is very good. Only it's- 90s kids remember literally everything we're talking about in this episode. <laughs> Yeah, this is like a very insufferably millennial episode. I'm so sorry to our Gen Xers and our Gen Zers that are listening to this nostalgia hour. It's fine. Um, But yes, I love Matilda as a character. I love that she is also very crafty as well, like with her pranking. Like when Mm -hmm. she's trying, before she discovers she has telekinesis, she's still being a little prankster and getting even with her parents. You know, by dyeing Danny DeVito's hair or gluing his hat to his head. Danny DeVito comes out with his not at all toned hair. And I'm like, man, this is just, this is so many queers once they have a mental breakdown. (laughs) Right. Bleaching but not toning. And everyone's like, buddy. Yep. I did it myself just because I I, I felt uncomfortable. So I decided to bleach my hair. And it's like, oh, honey. It's like, oh, I can tell. I know that you did that in your bathroom. The patchiness (laughs) in the back is really letting me know that this was a breakup haircut. Yeah. But like, I, it's all about the, I don't know. Matilda's doing vigilante justice because one time Danny DeVito says, when a person is bad, they get punished. Yeah. But he should have said when a child is bad. But he fucked up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, she she's very much doing vigilante justice. But Matilda is also a very empathetic and thoughtful person because she doesn't receive any sort of love or affection or compassion from her parents. So she's got to put the feelings she has somewhere and she chooses to help and protect other people because she knows what it feels like to be unprotected. And that, I think, is really lovely because... You know, so many of us have bad traumas from being children or a lot of people grow up in really fucked up homes. Mm -hmm. And the story that we hear all the time is, you know, oh, they're so angry or oh, they're so mad or they're violent or whatever because they come from a broken home. And it's not to say that like Matilda's proof that you don't have to be an asshole. Like, no, your rage is justified. But it is really nice to show an example of a broken family where the child does come out okay because I think that that could be very motivational for a lot of kids who are in fucked up situations where they can see this movie and go oh I can be kind like it's okay for me to be angry but what I do with that anger like I it it, I need to direct it in the right places Mm -hmm. and I think that that is really really good messaging oh yeah I mean even as Someone who didn't do reading, it's a matter of the escapism to get through your home life Mm -hmm. where, you know, this is the 90s. We were all about just kind of like freak of the week programming where we really liked to embarrass people on television, whether it was through like trashy daytime talk shows or like it's a reality competition show. Slide around in this slop for a hundred dollars. My name's Joe Rogan. Eat a bug. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Like drink the horse cum. Yeah. (laughs) You know, shit like that. Um, th- that's what the John Lovitz, like, sticky money show is, where it's like, cover yourself in goo, you fucking whatever. You need the money, don't you? Yeah, it was, it was, hum- it was a very humiliating time period yeah, as well. Like, this genre of particularly, like, make your money shows really peaked with, like, repo games, and then I think we hit a point as a society where we're like, okay, I think we've gone too far. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all collectively went, whoa, we need, <laughs> we need to walk this back. But, 
No, it's uh, that's what her family's choosing to immerse themselves in. Like these things that are mean spirited, exploitive things for their amusement. Right. Which is very much like what the Wormwood family is about. Like dad is actively a bad dad. Mom is a do nothing mom. Mm -hmm. Matilda is choosing to use escapism through story Mm -hmm. in a way that feels more emotionally fulfilling or um, less fucking cruel than the things that her family are like. Sit down and watch the goddamn TV. Yeah. Like, that was me with, like, video games. That was me with cartoons. That was me with all of the things that I choose to, chose to immerse myself in uh, when I chose not to think about my family growing up. Mm-hmm. And I think I turned out pretty okay, all things considered. Mm-hmm. I should be way worse. <laughs> Honestly, there are some days where you will be so emotionally competent about something, and I'll just look at you and I'm like, damn, how did this happen? I've met your family. You should be infinitely more fucked up than this. <laughs> well, what, what was the the thing we were saying the other day where I'm like, listen, now that I'm now that I'm working again, in terms of money, I need a new laptop to edit the show. Mm-hmm. I need tattoos. Mm-hmm. And then I need therapy. I'm willing to shuffle those first two in terms of priorities. <laughs> but it was like, I believe your response was, listen, I think everyone should go to therapy and everyone could benefit from it. I don't think you need it. It would just be good. <laughs> well, it's more so because it's not that I, I think everybody needs therapy. I genuinely do. But it's also because I know what a lot of the work that is done in therapy is. And it's going to be really hard for us to find a therapist who's going to accept off the bat that you don't want to reconcile with your family and that they're like, that's a dead zone. And we're just going to leave that as a dead it's zone. It's not even like, oh no, it's persona non grata. It's just kind of like, no, I'm good. I moved on. Yeah. like it, <laughs> Which it, it, people can't <laughs> understand. Like I watched Gypsy for the first time recently and I'm just sitting there going like, no, but her mom's terrible. She should just leave. Right. Like, there's a sign at the front of the theater that says, like, Miss Gypsy Rose Lee's mom's not allowed in the fucking theater. And then she comes in and she just goes, hey, mom. And I'm like, no. Yeah. That says don't enter. You're not allowed in. <laughs> and then it walks away and it's like, all right, I'm just going to be Natalie Wood and take Rosalind Russell out and we're going to live a nice life. And it's like, no. Like, I understand. She sucks. I understand this is hard for some people, but not for me. Right. <laughs> So, like, I don't know. I like to think that Matilda is is kind of going to be in that situation where she's going to remember her pa- family and just be like, huh. No, I don't think I need to reconnect with them wherever they've gone. Right. Like, she... I think she's just... I think she's going to move on and be she's, fine. She's good. I mean... Yeah. I know we're skipping a lot of the movie here, but, like... Well, yeah, I mean, I think like, that that's what the next step would be for this character is... Just enjoying her life and not needing to, you know, reconcile with the past, not to dwell or like honestly take steps backwards to fucking fix all that. I mean, she's the one who has the adoption papers at the end. She was like, she's like, I've had them since I was tall enough to Xerox. She has been planning her out for a very long time Mm -hmm. and like good for her (laughs) because, yeah, the Wormwoods kind of suck, but they suck in the best way possible. Let's talk about her parents. I'm obsessed with Harry and Zinnia Wormwood, mm. not because I think they're good parents, because they are not. They are objectively terrible parents, but I love them. I oh, yeah. love them so much. Like, Mr. Wormwood is the car salesman. Oh, my God. He yeah. is every stereotype of the sleazy, sweaty, greasy car salesman. There's a sucker born every minute. Exactly. And Rhea is absolutely, like, such a good Mrs. Wormwood mom. Where she's just like, I don't want to work. I don't want to lift a finger at all. I'm going to do as little cooking and as little cleaning as possible. 
Uh, she's just incredible. She's fabulous. She's a trophy wife. She loves playing she, bingo. She has amazing, like, legging pants. Mm-hmm. She Every single outfit she wears is incredible, but, like, she had a dream as a, as a young child that was, I want to be a trophy wife, and she's living her dream, which means mm-hmm. she doesn't even really probably want to be a parent. Like, I don't really know what the parenting method is for the Pugsley of this family, like, a Michael? <laughs> yeah, sure. That's his name, I guess. There's a reason he didn't get included in the musical. He's really not important. Like, the only purpose that Michael kind of serves is, one, it's an additional antagonist in her household. It's also a sign that, like, it's not that they hate all children. They just hate Matilda. Well, I think it's because their son is easy because he fits in line with them. Exactly. Like, it's really easy to like your kids when they like the shit you like or when they listen to you. Yeah. It's really easy to be a parent then, or right. at least much easier to be a parent then. But when you have a kid who, like, you don't understand or is, like, slightly contrarian to what you're doing and you don't understand why and you're not making any effort to fix it, yeah, it's harder to be a parent then. But you're supposed to fucking be a parent then. All right. The first car your brilliant father sold cost $320. I sold it for $1,158. The second one cost $512. I sold it for $2,269. Wait, Dad, you're going too fast. Just right. The third cost $68. I sold it for $999. And the fourth cost $1,100. I sold it for 7,839 big American boffos. What was my profit for the day? Can you repeat the last one? $10,265. Check it if you don't believe me. You're a little cheat. You saw the paper. From all the way over here? Are you being smart with me? If you're being smart with me, young lady, you're going to be punished. Punished for being smart? For being a smart aleck. And I think that's one of the magical things that Matilda brings to so many people is because whether or not you have like an actively abusive household, if you are a child that is dissimilar from your family in any way, or if it's like a major way, Matilda's going to resonate with you because you know what it feels like to not be in line with your family. Tell me about it. Like, like you get it. I mean, I'm sorry, dad. I don't want to spend seven hours on a Sunday watching NASCAR. Right. And like, even to some extent, you know, me with my family, like I do have a good relationship with my parents, but I'm not like my parents in a lot of ways. Like I'm not super hardcore into sports. I was a weirdo goth kid. That is not who they were at all. I'm lucky that they embraced that, but they very much were kind of like, all right, do I mean, what you, you did do what sports. you want to do. You did you did you did hockey and you just beat the shit out of a bunch of small I children. Was like a child though. I was like little little. Yeah, but that's the age of Matilda. Yeah, but that's also because I wanted to do that. Yes, yeah, hockey rules. Because <laughs> hockey does rule. Hockey is aside from pro wrestling, it is the king of sports. It really is. But like, um, yeah, like what was the what was the thing that happened? I think we went over this when we did the Mighty Ducks a million years ago on the Patreon. But didn't you like play hockey and you were really good purely because none of the other boys wanted to hit you, so you just fucking bodied yes. all the boys? Yes, it was great. It was so much fun. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I didn't play baseball. I didn't play like I tried playing basketball and volleyball in like junior high. I was good at volleyball. I was terrible at basketball. I was also. Terrible. Um, and I tried and I know that when I tried out for it, it was because one, I wanted another extracurricular because I'm insufferable, Sure, but also like I thought that it would 
be a nice like gift to my parents because I was a baton twirler and did pageants, which is so not like my dad's thing at all. And you can't rah rah cubs that. You can't. And I was like, well, my dad will be so excited to come see me at basketball games. And he was. He came to every basketball game. He did not come to every baton competition, like only major ones. Mm-hmm. Um and so there is always that like little nagging thought that I would have where I was like, oh, I kind of feel like Matilda, which is why in first grade, I mean, we'll talk about Miss Honey in a second, but I had a teacher in first grade that was a Miss Honey type, mm-hmm. and I was obsessed with her, and she understood me in a way that my parents like took a very long time to understand. We're good now, but as a kid, they were still fumbling to understand me, and she understood me immediately, and I was like, well, I've seen Matilda. The only uh, natural conclusion is that my first grade teacher's gonna adopt me. Uh, this is how things are gonna go. Gonna be my mom. She's gonna be my mom now. That's cool. Um, that was just very much my my thought process behind a lot of it, and I think a lot of kids can, can resonate with that where either it's a teacher or some sort of adult figure in your life through, like, I don't know, extracurriculars, church, whatever. Mm-hmm understand you in a way that your parents don't and then you become like very particularly attached to them because it is very very hard to be that small and to feel that powerless and to not have an adult in your corner like that is a horrible feeling that I think way too many children have an understanding of or adults who you know were children know what that feels like no, I that makes total sense to me. Yeah, but I mean, outside of the fact that they're bad parents, uh, they're, Danny they're De- at least amusing. Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman are doing like camp gold well, in their performances. They're they have, so funny. They have the benefits of being married. Yes. So they have a specific like connection and chemistry on screen that works really well. Yes, they are they they're just so good. They also are vi- like visually they look like a like a Roald Dahl couple. Mm-hmm. Roald Dahl really liked doing short fat tall fins, um which is great for our couple's costume history. Sure. Um oh my god, you're gonna be we could be I could be Danny DeVito. Oh, I don't know how I've never thought about that because we definitely have the ants from James and the Giant Peach on our list. I don't know why I didn't think about those. Yeah, oh my yeah. god, we have to do that now. Um But yeah, they are um, just so wonderful as a couple. They're interesting to look at. They're really funny. They play off of each other really well. And the family unit feels so good um, watching them. And it's because this is a little bit behind the scenes information. But like Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman genuinely and sincerely loved Mara Wilson and for from all I've learned, continue to love her because Mara Wilson's mom passed away when she was a child, which is really sad and a terrible thing. And Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman kind of like took care of her throughout that situation and like helped her through that, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really, really lovely. Um, you know, they watched her. Um, when her mom was in the hospital so that she, you know, didn't have to be like living in a fucking hospital with her mom. Um, when she passed away, uh, they, they kind of took her in and was like, we're going to take care of you and make sure you're okay. Like they really went above and beyond for this at the time, like little girl. Mm -hmm. And I think you can kind of see that affection on screen because even when Harry and Zinnia, like, 
are being shitty parents, there's still like a weird warmth to what they're doing. Like it doesn't feel like cold dismissive parents of like, get out of here, kid. Like, well, they're engaged. They're engaged. Like the anger that they feel feels very like rooted in authenticity because Mm -hmm. it feels like outside of shooting, there is kind of like a mini familial unit happening here. I think so. Also, I think that there's something about like even a family being okay. So this is this is the '90s. This is a little dark, but this is still the time where it was like, oh, it's my kids. I should be able to beat them if I want. Right. Like so, we're still doing that. And this movie obviously doesn't go that far in terms of them being bad parents. I mean, he threatens it. Like yes, during her like yell at me again. He's like yell at you. I'll beat your little hide. Bam, zoom straight to the moon. Yeah. Um, but. There's still an engagement in this that, like, I think is the the difference of parenting that we had with uh, the the episodes we did last month for, like, Lady Bird and Submarine, where it's, like, if you're, you're still engaging enough with your child by yelling at them, and, like, that's not good, but, like, they only ignore her half the time. And she right. actually likes when they ignore her. Yeah. So it creates this really unique dynamic that I think is only enhanced by the behind-the-scenes flavor. Agreed. I mean, it's like that line in The Breakfast Club where it's like, what do your parents do? Do they beat you or whatever? And she's like, no, they ignore me. And it's like, yeah. oh, God. Which can be good and bad. Which can be good and bad. And I loved it when my parents ignored me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's what we're we're seeing here with Matilda and her, you know, camp clown ass parents. But they're, God, they're so good. I also love their decor. I love their decor. I love that they have the like step down living room that it's not quite a conversation pit, but I love a living room like mm-hmm. that. I um, feel like they don't do that anymore because they're like, well, sooner or later you're going to get old and fall. <laughs> I pointed it out to Harmony when we were watching it, but you know, Matilda's another movie that like lives in my bones. I can quote it. I You did. Which I did a lot. Um, but there are certain parts of that movie that stick with me and have become part of my my voice and the way that I describe things. Um, but the one that is most prominent is that Rhea Perlman does a laugh in Matilda after they finally get like the hat off of Harry's head and it looks awful obviously but she's laughing at him and she goes <laughs> and that laugh for whatever reason is in my body and it comes out sometimes and whenever i hear it i'm like oh god is anyone gonna know that this laugh got developed from watching matilda too much as a child i love that so much um oh, there's also parts where you were just like Yep, that dress Matilda's wearing, I had that dress. Uh-huh. I wanted to be Matilda. That denim dress with the embroidered like fruit on it. Mm-hmm. Yep, I had one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to be her so bad. I thought she was so cool. Yeah, so Matilda goes to the library as a small child, rents a lot of books, starts uh, reading Moby Dick and a bunch of other stuff like that. Moby what? Yes, Moby what? Um metaphorically speaking, she is chasing her white whale mm-hmm. um, to the point where she doesn't even get to finish reading Moby Dick until the end of the movie. Yes. Because Mr. Wormwood destroys it. It's trash. It's trash. Trash. And uh, so, yeah, through a chance encounter by selling a very shitty car to a cranky old lady in silhouette, Matilda gets to go to school. Yeah, they think she's four. She's six and a half. Um, finally gets to I'm, go to school. I'm, I'm six and a half, mommy. Five then. <laughs> 
<laughs> so good. So good. Uh, so yeah, then she goes to Crunchum Hall, uh, which is like terror nightmare school for children. Mm-hmm. Um, the building looks haunted. Um, I don't know. Wh- like this school could never exist now because too many like uppity parents would be at the PTA be like, I think that the fences that could absolutely impale my children would be too dangerous and they would be right. Because <laughs> Crunchum Hall is a fucking death well, trap. it doesn't help that she throws them over the fence. <laughs> it really doesn't. Um, so yeah, she shows up to the school. Uh, she immediately makes friends with like Lavender, who I love dearly. She makes friends with Hortensia. With who, that haircut. With the, It was the 90s. That haircut that says, my mom cut this and has no semblance of style. This is, my mom didn't want me to have a bowl cut, so we just made it a little a longer. Bowl cut mullet. Bowl cut mullet. Um, oh, the 90s. But yeah, like, no, this, this, there's, I think, um, something really distinct about this particular school. So Matilda's based on a book from the 80s. But knowing that Roald Dahl wrote this, and like it was towards the end of his life, I'm sure he's reflecting back on being British and his upbringing and it being like the 30s or whatever. Right. So this is a very old-timey kind of British school, and the fact that both the Trunchbull and Miss Honey have accents I think is reflective of that. I think so too. And it's also like I saw so many people not understand why the musical was British, and I'm like, did you forget it was a book? Mm-hmm. People were mad about that. <laughs> they were super mad. And they were like, why are they all in uniforms? And I'm like, because that's how it worked back then. Please catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they go to Crunchum Hall. And by the random happenstance of the universe, she gets Miss Honey as a teacher. Played by M. Beth Davids, who I love so fucking much. She's lovely. I love M. Beth Davids. Uh, M. Beth Davids is also a little bit of like a scream queen. Um, She's in 13 Ghosts. She's mm-hmm. in Army of Darkness. Mm-hmm. She's in old M. Night Shyamalan's movie where the beach makes you turn old. Mm-hmm. Um, Love her. I love her so much. Um, Miss Honey is sunshine personified. And yes, Miss Honey made me feel a lot of feelings of both like mm-hmm. I want her to take care of me, but also am I in is this what love feels like? Am I in love with Miss Honey? There's uh, there's a scene when Miss Honey realizes how smart Matilda is, where Dana DeVito shoots it in a way that says, This is a look of love. And I don't know if people are used to seeing looks of love that are not romantic, but like Mm -hmm. you swap out this way. This is exactly shot in their faces or whatever. It's the most romantic fucking movie you've ever seen in your life, Mm -hmm. but it is parental like kinship. She sees herself in this child. She sees who she wants as her mother and they are, it's love at first sight, but not like romantically. Absolutely. It's so beautiful. Um, because you can tell like they they can offer each other what they've always wanted which is a family mm-hmm. and they understand each other like when she shows up to their house to try to be like I think Matilda can read at a college level and we should start thinking about this and she sees like how fucked this family is what do you want we're not buying anything <laughs> what'd you break well <laughs> Like I also love that she shows up and it's like, oh, I'm Matilda's teacher. And it's like, you, go to your room. What did you do? Like immediately just uh-huh. like bad faith <laughs> acceptance of like, well, my child's clearly a fucking asshole. I don't know. I feel like there's something about that that is also just like being very Italian about it. Because it's like how everything your dad says sounds like an accusation. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> um, but yeah, Miss Honey is 
like using 2023 language, she is a cottagecore lesbian queen. Like mm-hmm. that is, she lives on her own in the forest in like a With fucking flowers. Keebler elf ass house. Like she's so sweet and lovely and kind and just so beautiful and compassionate. Like I completely understand why so many people like fell in love with her. Do I want, do I want to be in love with Miss Honey or do I want to be Miss Honey? Right. Do I want to be her? Do I want to be in love with her? Do I want her to mommy me? And Uh Oh, Oh, what does that mean? What does that mean? Let me unpack that a little bit when I turn like 25. Yeah. Um, I mean, people have come to terms with their mommy issues quite a bit more, uh, very recently. Yes. It's taken a very long time for people to understand that, like, yes, there is a flip side to daddy issues. Yep. Um, and Miss Honey, I think, was a, a great avatar for a lot of people. Um, on, on that flip side, though, I want to talk about the Trunchbull for a second. I love her so much. Cause I'm sorry. I love her. <laughs> the Trunchbull has all of the characteristics. By the way, um, Pam Ferris is only, like, 5'7", but she seems like a goddamn giant in this movie because oh, she's God, around yeah. tiny children. Mm-hmm. Um, she has all of the traits that you would associate with, like, oh, she's so mean, step on me, in, like, a very British, mean, hot lady way of, uh, it's very old school, of like a headmistress, mm-hmm. a, a governess of some sort. I mean, she is a headmistress. Yes, so. I know, but, like, <laughs> I know I know she is in a literal sense, but I'm talking, like, in a sexy sense. Yes. But people don't do that with the Trunchbull, and to be fair, they dress her down quite a bit. Yes, they do. Young Trunchbull, in that painting? Young Trunchbull can get it mm-hmm. as like a super butchy, under the surface kind of fucking buff lady. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my God. So yeah, as a kid, I remember having very complicated feelings about the Trunchbull, not in like a sexy way, but in I a- don't think anyone did, but she has all of it. It's just completely removed the sex appeal. Yes. Even in retrospect, where nobody thinks the Trunchbull's sexy, but she has every, she hits every beat. She really does. Um, I'm not even saying I find set Trunchbull sexy. I'm just saying, like, I'm noticing this, though. Trunchbull, though, to me, is one of those, like, oh, I could fix her. Like, that's how oh, I yeah? feel about her, because I love... The love of a kind woman could could melt her icy heart. I love the way that she is, <laughs> I love the way she's built... I love her attitude. Like the line you referenced earlier when she says like, what's so funny? I like a joke as much as the next fat person that like spoke to my soul where I was like, she doesn't give a fuck. Like I have never seen a fat character outside of maybe Ursula. So this is like the first time I'm seeing a fat character in real life, Mm -hmm. not give a flying shit that she is fat and also being in control, being powerful and also Again, not giving a fuck. Like, oh, you have a problem with me? I will literally throw you. Mm -hmm. Like, there is something so validating and cool about that because we never get to see women being, like, strong. And if we do see them being strong, they're, like, strong in a way that's, like, sexy, slender superhero, not tough-ass bitch butch. That was, like, people who criticized uh, Gal Gadot for not being buff enough for Wonder Woman. Right. Which, like, for the first movie, okay, she sells me on it. But, like... Still, Diana should be more buff. She Diana should be, should be jacked. Bigger. Yeah. And, and like, we don't want to do that be- in our culture because there's like this inherent, like, oh, I guess that makes you masculine sort of thing, which is yeah. so bananas to me speaking and of stupid. The, speaking of the 90s, I, I watched China. I get it. Right. We watched China. We watched fucking Xena Warrior Princess. Like, there uh, is something so appealing. Lucy. 
about a woman who looks like she can fucking throw you. Mm -hmm. So like as a kid watching this, I never wanted to be thrown. I definitely wanted to do the throwing. Yeah. I was like, oh, that would be so, I would throw a bitch. Oh man. See like the difference between like China and Lucy Lawless is like they're hot femmes. Mm -hmm. They're tough. Trunchbull is a tough, strong Butch. Oh, and I love her. Oh, God, And she's I love absolutely her. gay. Like, oh, 100%. Like, we're dancing around it. The movie dancers around it, but like, she's absolutely fucking butch. One million percent. Like, we've done so much unpacking of like <laughs> Miss Honey over the years where people are like, oh, she was my queer awakening. Oh, I love her. No one talks about the fact that Trunchbull is like hot, scary butch lady. She's and like, such a dyke. Oh, my God. I love her. I love her so much. And like, that. Especially because how much she hates men. Which oh, would, she hates them so would much. Would have been second wave feminism. Right. Churchill hates men so much. And like, okay, this is not to distract the fact that she is our, she's the villain. Like, she's oh, no. a bad she's, person. She's horrible, but she's really entertaining about being horrible. Yes. That's what this movie does with its villains, is they have extremely entertaining, awful people. Right. Like, she is absolutely an abusive monster. Like, let's not skirt I broke over your that. your arm once, Jenny. <laughs> like, she's <laughs> such a shit. She, like, humiliates poor Bruce Bogtrotter and is like, you're going to eat this whole fucking cake in front of everyone you fat piece of shit and you're like god damn this is horrible mm-hmm. but brucey does it because he's a champion is that internalized fat phobia uh right see yes like it's one of those things where it's like why do you hate this fat kid so much trunchbull why do you hate him have you not unpacked some things what's going on here nope it's just because we're all fat phobic let's that, be real absolutely but like i do love the fucking like really casual way bruce has about everything where it's like well you know it's hard to tell one cake from another <laughs> or whatever. My mom's is better. Like, like you shady bitch. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. I love him so. Like, there's not a character in this movie I don't love, even if they're mm-hmm. bad. Like, yeah. <laughs> I love Cookie, like the gross, grimy oh, chef. so nasty. Who, like, I don't want to eat anything in that kitchen. Nope. Yuck. I love that Cookie makes a fucking cameo later in the movie when they're throwing food at Miss Trunchbull and chasing her out. And she just, like, leaned over, like, kind of, like, bellied up to the bar of, like, a cart. <laughs> just fucking eating and laughing. Right? Oh, God, so funny. But, yeah, like, <laughs> we don't unpack the way that, like, I think Trunchbull probably in the back of some people's minds like unearth some things that they just don't want to unpack because you don't want to be like oh but she's the villain she's abusing children why do i like this she's just great she's just she's just so great um I mean, it's the thing you see all the time about people who develop like weird feelings towards punishment because they grew up in like catholic school right <laughs> right i know so many people who went to catholic school that are now like oh i'm absolutely like into like humiliation fetish submission mm-hmm. things and it's like no i i understand where this came from yeah no it, it all makes sense like this is where this is where you develop some root feelings mm-hmm. right this is where some stuff grows out of when you're very small and just go huh yeah i'll come back to that when i've hit puberty <laughs> yes no you're absolutely right um but something i do want to mention too is like the casting of pam ferris is just so brilliant because Matilda, when the musical happened, that character is played as a drag role a lot mm-hmm. on stage. Um, shout out to a uh, personal friend, Trey Gilpin, who played the Trunchbull uh, in Cleveland when they did their production. Uh, Trey, you're great. Um, so when they cast Emma Thompson in the musical version, I was not super thrilled about it. It's I, the only time you were never happy to see Emmy. Emma I know. Thompson I love her so much. Like, what a weird year she had where she said, 
I'm going to do good luck to you, Leo Grand, and be a hot older woman. And full frontal nudity. Full frontal nudity. And also, I'm going to be the Trunchbull. Right. The range, though. <laughs> what a year. The range. She's so talented. But, like, there is something lost when you put her in a fat suit and not cast a fat character. Mm-hmm. Or if you're going to put somebody in a fat suit, make it, like, just really play into it and make it a drag role. Yeah. Um, like, so, don't get me wrong. Emma Thompson's good. She is good. But Pam Ferris is so lived in uh-huh. because she understands her body in a way that like somebody in a fat suit will never understand because they don't live in it. There's a specific way that she moves around where like she huffs when she's running. Oh my God. And like chasing him through the house. There's a way about how she stomps and stuff where it's like, I'm big and I'm going to make myself seem bigger. Yeah. Oh, she's incredible. Like, Honestly, if I had to do like a top five like movie villains that like I just love. Oh my god, the Trunchbull. Trunchbull's so there. Good. She's, she's there. So good. She's like, such a good villain. She's incredible. And like she's so scary. And like the Chokey is terrifying. Like uh-huh. that is a fucking saw trap. But much scarier ever seen one. than the Chokey in the musical. It's yeah. It's just like it's, it's a box she built. It's like, oh no, this like is built into the wall. <laughs> and it's yeah. like steamy and dank and sad. Yeah. Can you spell? Miss Honey taught us how to spell a long word yesterday. We can spell difficulty. You couldn't spell difficulty if your life depended on it. She taught us with a poem. A poem? How sweet. What poem would that be? Mrs. D, Mrs. I. Mrs. F, F, I. Mrs. C, Mrs. U, Mrs. L, T, Y. Why are all these women married? Mrs. D, Mrs. I, you're supposed to be teaching spelling, not poetry. So yes, Matilda discovers through rage um, that she has telekinetic powers. She discovers through rage she can go Super Saiyan. Yeah, not unlike Carrie White um, in Carrie, because Matilda is Carrie Jr. Like, it's uh-huh. it's the family-friendly PG version of Carrie, which is, don't fuck with the weird girl who reads a lot. She will burn your house down. Oh, yeah, like, these were the things I was thinking about when we were watching it, just in, like, the funsies of it, because I'm like, yeah, I'm watching this movie, but I've also seen Matilda dozens of times, probably. So it's like, yeah, I can kind of drift off. It's like, who would win in a fight, Matilda or X? Who would win in a fight, Trunchbull or X? <laughs> like, I'm just fantasy booking these death matches between these characters. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, Matilda uses her powers, again, for vigilante justice. She does a little Peter Panning by stealing things from the Trunchbull's house, which is actually Miss Honey's house, mm-hmm. and bringing it back to her. Um, you know, she finally takes revenge on her parents. She blows up the TV. She uh, makes Michael choke on carrots. Uh <laughs> Just, you know, having having a good old time. It's not a snake. It's a salamander. It's a salamander. Hold um, the newt. Uh, makes, uh, makes Lavender be able to fly so that she doesn't get hit. Uh, lets other kids be able to fly so that they don't go face first into those terrifying gates that would kill them. The, uh, the only time that this movie shows its age in terms of its effects is when that kid flies. <laughs> And it's end. only and it's only in like a the couple. Close-ups? No, the wide shots are where Is they. That look, what it was? Yeah, 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 the wide shots look real rough. The the close ups look pretty okay. Yeah, um, like this movie. Okay, so Matilda has a thirty five million dollar budget, which is like essentially seventy million, probably if you adjust it for inflation. Which I don't fully know where that budget goes. I'm guessing it's just the sets and the effects, mm-hmm. but it it sh- does it doesn't age 
that badly for a movie from this era. It Aside really doesn't. from those moments. Yeah, there's only a couple moments when kids are flying that look a little weird, but like the, the Amanda Thripp flying looks great. I think it's hilarious when she's like got her like feet stretched out and her arms out and you see this shot of it flying and it's clearly like a puppet that they built and they're just zooming down a zip line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Amanda Thripp st- stuff looks pretty good. I love... The POV cam of her swinging, I think, really sells mm-hmm. <laughs> what's going on there. Um, yeah, that stuff's all great. Uh, the 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 chalk is a little weird, but like no one's paying attention to that. No, it's no, really these fine. these effects these effects hold up only because we're used to other effects. Like children aren't gonna fucking notice that. Yeah, they don't care. I don't know if kids today could watch that and just go like, mm, that effect doesn't look very good because they are actually have grown up with like very good effects. Maybe. I don't so know. So maybe they would notice it, but I don't know. Ask your kids. Let us know. <laughs> we want to know. <laughs> do, do they think that kid doing loop-de-loops looks bad? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That like So that's why this movie also feels really timeless, because it feels like it was made yesterday. It feels like it was made 30 years ago. It feels like it was made 50 years ago. Like, I mean, it's, it's just really lovely. Young people and, would watch this movie and see every kid in this movie, as well as Miss Honey, and go, okay, but check out that drip. <laughs> they, oh my god the so the fashion in this movie is so it's, unbelievably it's great so painfully 90s but in a way that has come back around yeah it's not 90s in like the ways of stuff we've left in the past it's 90s it's, in the it's way not cool as ice right it's not cool as ice with vanilla ice if you've not seen that movie um but it is very much this it's like hocus pocus fashion to me where i see people wearing those outfits today mm-hmm. um and i feel the same way about matilda um which is only a good thing for its longevity. But the thing that I like about her powers is that she also uses her powers in a way that feels very childlike. Um, Um, That she's a little girl, which means I'm not going to blow you up or break your limbs like a other boy with psychic powers. I'm going to gaslight you and psychologically torture you. (laughs) Yes. So like, yes, 100% that. Like, you know, we talk a lot on the show about how, like, socialization is both absolutely a truth and also a myth. Uh, because, again, you hold multiple truths at the same time uh-huh. with everything. But Matilda is such a good example of the ways that we socialize young children to express negative emotions. Where, like, we see Danny DeVito. Everything he does is very masculine. He takes a book and he rips it up. Mm-hmm. He throws things. He screams. He is so aggressive about everything. Matilda he's got to assert his masculinity because he's a short king. Matilda is a psychological terrorist when it like, comes to the church fall. Like I want you to think about like kids with superpowers. Picture Matilda and what she does versus like I don't know Brightburn. Right. <laughs> the kid from Brightburn is like. Um, I'm yeah, going to I'm blow up people's villain. heads with fucking laser vision just because I'm a little mad. Right. And <laughs> But Matilda's like, hey, what if I made you believe you're being haunted <laughs> by a man that you probably killed? Uh-huh. We're not super. It's a little bit more clear in like the book and in the I music. I mean, she absolutely did. Yeah, it's very much implied that she killed Miss Honey's dad. But it's like, hey, uh, remember that guy you killed? Uh, I'm going to make you think that he's in your classroom and uh, has also been stalking you in your home. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to terrorize you and uh, just turn your entire life into the telltale heart. Yeah. Get on board. <laughs> this is what <laughs> happened. She read Edgar Allan Poe. Probably, yeah. <laughs> but it's so like it's so funny because I remember as a kid being like, hell yeah, get her. That's perfect. And then as an adult, I really think about like her thought process behind this. And I'm like, 
It's very conniving. It's much more elaborate than it probably needed to be. (laughs) It's like, I I think Matilda might need therapy, Miss Honey. I think you might need to let her talk to somebody. But finding a therapist uh, to talk to about this is going to be difficult because then you also have to disclose, by the way, I can blow shit up with my mind. That's like (laughs) doctor-patient confidentiality, right? I guess. They're not allowed to say it, except this guy will just be like, oh no, I have to leak this information. And then the government comes and seizes Matilda to turn it into a weapon of war. (laughs) (laughs) Then it becomes chronicle. Yeah, what does the sequel to Matilda look like? It can go in so many directions. (laughs) I mean, as we've learned, she doesn't use her powers anymore, except for like... Sometimes. Sometimes to like make books fly across the room so that she doesn't have to get up, which... Look, I would have, that's how I would use my telekinetic powers. I would not do anything like mean or awful. It would be like. <sighs> It'd be those times where you go in the kitchen. I don't want to pay the DoorDash fee. I'm just going to float this <sighs> down the block. There's going to be a flying Grimace birthday shake getting to the house so that I can have Grimace shake. Here, I thought it was going to be as more mundane as like, you leave the kitchen, sit back down the couch, and I go, you left the light on again. <laughs> and then you'd be yeah, like, Yeah, I would uh... do that. I would do that. I would just like blink that light off. Oh my God. It's so funny. Get in. Dirty dealings, like buying stolen car parts, never stay secret for long, especially when the FBI gets involved. Nine seventeen, suspect exits domicile. I've got nine eighteen. Nine seventeen is correct. And as we're sort of wrapping things up, there is one more very important message in the movie of Matilda that I think is important for everyone to take uh, take to heart, which is don't trust the fucking cops. Yeah. Also, like, speaking of, like, the unnecessary terrorism, she decides to do this shtick where she's just sliding a box back and forth, and then just, it doesn't really play into her big plan of just being like, I know my rights, where right. she just comes out and does that. Like, she's just fucking with people. <laughs> she, like... She's terrorizing Paul Rubens uh, by, you know, stealing his tape, making his car go away, uh, all sorts of fun stuff. Bless you, Paul Rubens. Paul Rubens is having the time of his life playing this character. Arguably the most mainstream he's ever been outside of Pee Wee is this movie. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I, I theorize this in my head a lot. Which is, if Pee Wee didn't take off, Paul Rubens would have been the greatest character actor in the world, Mm -hmm. and he would have had a million little roles like this, and they all would have been awesome. But I think that, like, Pee Wee was too distracting. I think so, because people see Paul Rubens and they go, ha, Pee Wee. Yeah. Like, that's what happens. I think you could get away with it if he's under a bunch of prosthetics, like in Mystery Men or Buffy, Mm -hmm. but in general, it's just too much, like... Yeah, that's Paul Rubens. Yeah. <laughs> that's Pee Wee. Oh, he's so funny in, in this, though, because I'm just, he's... I'm just happy to see him. I just, Anytime I just, he's on the screen, I'm just like, I know he's a cop. I don't care. I just love to see Paul Rubens. He's great. And, you know, then he uh, <laughs> he's the one who finally busts Harry for being, being bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do like that <laughs> Harry talks down to Matilda because he obviously doesn't understand how smart she is. So it's like, we got to beat the speedboat salesman to the airport. And she's like, they're cops, dad. Like, she's the one who's been saying they're cops the whole movie. And he's like, no, they're not. I think I would know if there's cops in front of my house. God, so dumb. So dumb. Like, um, like he comes home and Rhea Perlman's just talking to them and there's speedboats. And she's just having a lovely conversation about that. And he's not mad that there's dudes in her house that might be cops. He's mad because his wife is talking to other men who are hunky, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> a convention of male strippers. That's like part of me wants to believe 
that Danny DeVito was just making things up as he went along and just improving this because it just it's so funny with the casting that they have. But I also secretly hope that that was in the script the whole time and it would have been the line no matter who they cast. Yeah. Which is just it, great. It's just funnier that it's Paul Rubens. So ultimately, Matilda is just such a formative movie and story for a lot of people, myself included. And it's just such a comfort watch. Like rewatching it for this episode made me feel so good. Mm -hmm. Like I felt better about the day I was going to have because it's such a fun movie, but also treats problems with severity without making it feel like an after school special and is definitely like intense in it in its depiction of you know vigilante justice but not in a way that ever feels like cruel um it feels like the, it just this if movie it feels just, cruel well i mean they're bad people and sometimes bad things happen to bad people it, well yeah is it life simpler that when way when a person is bad mm -hmm. <laughs> they have to be punished um i don't know i'm just really glad that this is the adaptation that we got because it has become kind of the definitive adaptation that's no shade to the musical, which I really, really like a lot. But like, I don't like the Wormwoods as much as this, like, because the bar was set so high mm -hmm. <laughs> because they're so good. I mean, this is one of those movies that you can point to and go, oh, no, the whole cast is perfect and no one should be switched out. I would not recast anybody in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, I think that they are all great. This is one of those top tier ones along with like the Brady Bunch movies. Oh, oh yeah. Where I'm like, nope, that cast is perfect. Mm -hmm. It's bulletproof. Everyone knows exactly what they're doing. It's great. But what I will say, um, and we'll probably do the Matilda musical eventually for like a May musical month. Um, Lashana Lynch, though, in the musical as Miss Honey is also amazing. And I am also in love with her. What a good year she had. I know that we the woman about, King. What yeah, the fuck? We, we talked about Emma Thompson and being like, what a weird year she had. And it was fun. Oh my God. But the woman King. I know. And the Matilda musical <laughs> She's in the same so year. Good. She is so fucking good. She's the best character in the woman King. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. She's incredible. Oh my God. Obsessed. Obsessed. We've talked so much about like other movies on this episode. I don't even care. It's fine. We were just talking about a lot of things. It's fine. <laughs> we took a week off. I, I we, we have to like overcompensate for the lack of doing that for a, a last week episode. Sure. <laughs> so Harmony, the time has come. Matilda is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying her a ticket so she can go on her own? Well, it's absolutely a yes. What what else would I even say to this? Like, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was a fun day that I came home from work or being somewhere like a month ago, and I come home and you were just watching Matilda just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, you're just watching this? And I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. It felt good. <laughs> yeah. Because it does. It feels great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hope people enjoyed this episode. Um, I hope that sometimes we get to do a silly fun time. Sometimes you just have to do a silly fun time and talk about the ways that very different, uh, lesbians make you feel about yourself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, as always, you can follow the show on Twitter as long as it's around and Instagram at this ends up prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and blue sky at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter for now and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. I'll get Blue Sky eventually. They're not letting me in right now. I know. I'm so sorry. It'll be what it'll be. <laughs> and as always, thank you to the Sounder Bombs for allowing us to use Tidal as our theme song. Harmony, what band inspired by Matilda are you recommending this week? God, trying to find a musical identity 
that matches both the mumbly words of Rusted Root and the only other notable song, which is... Like, trying to get something that mashes those together is not really working. So I'm just getting something that feels kind of like how Matilda feels. Um, Also, I'm just going to throw a thought out there just for everyone to picture this in their mind. Um, Send Me On My Way by Rusted Root as sung by Cher. I just want to give you that that mental thought. (laughs) And I just want you to do with that what you will because it's in my brain and it's silly. And the mm song is Little Bitty Pretty One by Thurston Harris. Correct. Yes. I just wanted to make sure that was on the record in case other people didn't know. Yes. So... The band that I am shouting out this week is the band Second Grade. Perfect, 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 perfect name. Yes. So I was making BJ listen to them a little bit in the car when we were driving yesterday. Um, As a quick pitch, Second Grade sounds like if you mash together like classic power pop bands like Big Star with like Kimya Dawson. But they they just write these nice little little nuggets of songs. They have an album from late last year called Easy Listening, the, the one that I actually prefer. Like they're both good. They only write fun little songs, but the one I prefer is Hit to Hit from a couple years ago. It is a, like, 40-minute album with 24 songs on it. Because they just do these little micro 90-second nuggets of nothing but hooks. And they, like, sing about random little topics, occasionally, like, nursery. They're, they're kind of, like, these pseudo-punk rock garage band nursery rhymes. I love it. They're, it's so distilled and perfect, and I think it captures the warmth and energy of what Matilda is quite perfectly. I agree. They they were really a nice listen to yesterday in the car. I was like, yeah, no, this works. This works yeah. a lot. That one song that is just them doing um, baby's first words and the only word is a child saying fuck. <laughs> um, great. Or a different song that was about uh, them counting and doing the ABCs, but the chorus is just listing the stars of Easy Rider and asking who your favorite is. <laughs> just incredible stuff. <laughs> so again, that is second grade. So make sure to give them a listen. And that takes us out on Matilda. Thank you for listening. And as always, save that last dance for us. Okay, bye. Bye. Is that? Is he cool? Mark? He's cool. Who's your favorite superhero? Uh, Matilda? This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.